Well, let's celebrate that hope and that light in the valley as we turn to this text that's been read for us. Luke chapter 9, we're continuing our journey through this wonderful gospel as we see the Lord Jesus, our King, on his mission. And I want you to turn there, if you would, to Luke chapter 9. You might also be ready to turn back to Mark chapter 9, which is a comparative passage to this one that we're considering this morning. So turn there, if you would, to Luke chapter 9. Now, several days ago, Susan and I uh, returned from a trip to a mission board meeting up in Pennsylvania. Had a wonderful time uh, with some of God's choice servants there. But we had a little bit of extra time to make our way back to Knoxville. And so as we uh, like to do, we just... At time of leisure as we made our way back. Uh, we like to call it meandering, all right? Meandering back, or used to, used to call it with the kids Lewis and Clarky, okay? <laughs> Going someplace you hadn't been before, the kids would say, Dad, let's go Lewis and Clarky. And so we, we would do that. And uh, this time we chose a route to meander back, Lewis and Clark back to uh, Knoxville, and we came across. Uh, and chosen, came across a highway in the northernmost part of West Virginia. And I want to tell you what a stretch of road that was. Wow, it was something else. Up one mountain, <laughs> top of the mountain, down uh, into the bottom of a valley. It's so deep you almost thought they pumped sunshine down there. And up and down the mountains we went, finally I understood some of the lines to uh, John Denver's old song, Country Road, yeah, West Virginia, Mountain Mama, I was thinking of that line, and I thought of the line, dark and dusty, painted on the sky, and we were, I was singing it, and Susan joined in a little too knowingly on the words, misty taste of moonshine. <laughs> That hurt a little. <laughs> Actually caused a teardrop in my eye. Some, all you baby boomers got that. All the ones younger, Google it. Okay. But we took that road over uh, those mountains, down those valleys. It was a wonderful experience. Glorious views from the top of the mountains, but then steep, deep, valleys where almost no sunshine. And I thought as we made that journey, really sort of a metaphor for life, isn't it? Mountaintops and deep, deep, dark valleys. And that is illustrated in this passage this morning. I want you to look at Luke chapter 9. We have both in this chapter. We have the mountaintop experience of the Lord, don't we? As we noticed last week, that incredible story of the glory of Jesus' transfiguration, where his divine nature pierced through the veil of his body, and he was expressing the splendor of the glory of God which was in him and upon him on that mountaintop. What a mountaintop experience that was. 
But then, immediately following that, Luke, as he often does, contrasts two extreme opposites. He takes us from that event of the mountaintop down to the valley of darkness and spiritual oppression. We're going to look at this passage today. And we're going to be able to thank God before we're through that the same Lord who is king in the mountaintop is also king in the valley, isn't he? He's the king in the valley, every valley of our lives. And that's what I want us to focus on today. I want us to think about the Lord Jesus as the king in the valley. Now, first of all, notice in this valley, this literal valley, and in the valleys of our lives as believers, there is spiritual warfare. Notice here the spiritual warfare in this valley immediately following this glorious mountaintop transfiguration. We read about it in verse 37. On the next day, the next day after the transfiguration, on the next day when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him. And he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. Now, what a terrible scene. You can just feel the heartache of this father as he is so broken over his son that is being so broken and so oppressed by this demonic spirit. Now, there are some commentators that try to describe what's going on here with this boy, this young man, as mental illness. And as tragic as mental illness truly is, this is not an illness. This is very clearly said in the Word of God not to be an illness. It is an invasion and it is an inhabitation. This young man is being invaded by an oppressive demonic spirit and it is inhabiting his body. Terrible demonic spirit. Now, my friends, let's pause here for a moment. I want us just to make sure we're very clear that spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is real, and only those who've never experienced it doubt it for a moment. If you've never experienced what you think is spiritual warfare, you might want to very consider closely your relationship with Christ. The devil doesn't tend to bother people who are on his side. But if you're on the side of Jesus Christ, you are the appointed, designated enemy of Satan. And he will war against you. 
Sometimes you encounter spiritual warfare. And I have no doubt that many believers here could give testimony of how you have encountered it. I can assure you, I could tell you many stories of encountering the reality of spiritual warfare. My friend, the Bible is crystal clear. Paul said in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, that is, in the spiritual realm. My friend, the Bible, a Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, says that you and I have a dreadful enemy and that we are faced with the energized, organized, mobilized forces of hell itself. Absolutely real. Now the text here, Luke describes that this one demon is not only just real, but notice he's also relentless. He, rent, he is relentless. The word used here means a continued pattern of attack. This is not just something that happened once or twice, but this is a continued pattern of attack. Maybe there would be some moments of seeming calm, but then would return this terrible spiritual oppression upon this young man. It's a relentless attack. My friend, I want to tell you something we notice in Scripture about spiritual warfare. And this may help you. I hope that it will help you. The first thing to recognize in Scripture is that Spiritual warfare seems to intensify in the presence of Jesus. It was the presence of Jesus that intensified the warfare. We see that throughout his ministry. Where Jesus is present, the enemy is there to battle. That helps us, friends, doesn't it? To recognize that spiritual warfare is many times associated not with the absence of the Lord in our life, but the presence of the Lord in our life. And here's the second thing the Bible is very clear about. The Bible is very clear that the warfare, spiritual warfare, will intensify the closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ. My friend, the farthest thing from the Bible is the idea that this world is getting better and better. My friend, there is a spiritual second law of thermodynamics. That we are headed toward more and more disorder. And this world is not spinning closer to God. It is not in evolution, it is in devolution. This is the reality. The Bible says, do not be deceived in last days that perilous times will keep coming 
and there will be greater darkness. And very clearly it's associated with the spiritual warfare of the enemies of God and His people who are in the heavenly places, the realm around us. My friends, as the years pass, and can you believe how quickly they're passing? As the years pass, though, and the dawn of that eternal day is coming. And don't you thank God for that? There's a day coming which will be the eternal day, and there'll never be another night. But as that dawning of that eternal day draws near, the deeper the darkness is going to become. It's going to become darker in the valley of this earth. It's going to become darker, darker in this road that we must travel. And the spiritual warfare will intensify. My friends, sadly, knowing that there's going to be an intensification of spiritual warfare, it's coming at a time of increasing spiritual weakness in the valley because you see you see here in this text spiritual warfare in the valley don't you but there's spiritual weakness on display facing this spiritual warfare do you hear the two cries here regarding the spiritual warfare there's the cry of the father and then there's the cry of Jesus listen to them verse 40 the father cries I begged your disciples. And the idea here is I was begging, continually begging, your disciples to cast out this demon, but they could not. And Jesus answered, not speaking to the Father, but speaking about what the Father just said in regard to the inability of His close disciples. Jesus said, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and to bear with you? Imagine that. Coming up out of the depths of the heart of Jesus, how long must I put up with this? Bear with this faithlessness, this twisted generation. These disciples were powerless in the presence of spiritual warfare. Now think about that for a moment. Who are these powerless ones? Nine disciples. Three had been with Jesus. The other nine had stayed at the bottom of the mountain. These nine disciples could not overcome one demon. Question. Were they not qualified? Were these nine disciples not qualified? Yes, they were qualified. Think about it. They had already spent three years in personal discipleship with Jesus Christ. Three years of relationship with Jesus. Three years of discipleship. They'd already been commissioned by Jesus. He'd already sent them out before. They'd been ordained by Jesus. 
Jesus had set them apart and ordained them for the ministry. They were experienced. This wasn't their first time facing spiritual warfare. They had been previously successful. On a previous time, they came back rejoicing to Jesus that the demons were subject to them. So here we have nine disciples, three years of training with Jesus, commissioned by Jesus, ordained with his power, experienced in ministry, previously successful, but they can't cast this demon out. Why? One thing only they lack. And Jesus addresses it. Faith. Faith. It is their personal faith that is the problem. The lack of that personal faith. Notice what Jesus says, verse 41. Oh, faithless. Faithless ones. He called them faithless. Now, friends, let's stop here for a moment. This isn't just personal weakness. This isn't. And we understand this is some kind of demon here. But Jesus is not saying it's because of your personal weakness. The, the, the issue here is this is not your gift. Your gift is not exorcism. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says the issue is you are faithless. This is sin. This is unbelief. That's what faithlessness is. It is unbelief. Now think about it. What had Jesus just told them nine or ten days earlier? He has said, on your confession of faith, I will build my church and what? The gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. And here are nine of these men to whom he made that statement that they are being defeated in their first spiritual battle after Jesus makes that statement. The spiritual warfare is not just the warfare around them, it's the warfare inside of them. They disbelieve. They don't believe. Hear that word, friend, that I'm using very carefully. They disbelieve. You see, friends, to not believe is to disbelieve. It's not neutrality. Let me say to someone here this morning, you may be listening and you may say, well, I'm an agnostic. I haven't decided whether I believe or not. My friend, to not believe is to disbelieve. Why is it to disbelieve? Because disbelief is to disbelieve someone. And the someone you disbelieve is not yourself. The one you disbelieve is Jesus Christ. That is disbelief. Never forget, 
What is spiritual warfare ultimately about? Listen up, church. Spiritual warfare is always about truth. It's about truth versus the lie. That's what spiritual warfare is about because our adversary, Satan, is the father of all what? Lies. He is a father of lies. How do you overcome the father of lies? A complete kingdom built on lies. You overcome it one way with truth. It is a truth encounter. It's not a power encounter. Do not believe for a moment that you go out in spiritual warfare and it's about whether you have more power or the demonic forces have more power. It's not a power encounter. It's a truth or lie encounter. It's about believing the truth. It's about believing God rather than believing the devil. What did Adam and Eve do? They chose to believe the devil's lie rather than God's truth. And that cursed themselves and brought curse on this whole world. And it is the continuing curse. The continuing curse on this world is the lie of the devil versus the truth of the glorious God of heaven. That's the battleground. And so when we don't believe God, when we don't believe what Jesus said, when we do not say what Jesus said and believed it, where is the spiritual warfare? Right here. Friends, listen, I hate the devil. Don't you hate him? I hate the devil, but the devil gets blamed for a lot of stuff he had nothing to do with. Oh, that's spiritual warfare in my life. Oh, you know, the devil made me do it. Friend, the battle's right here in our own heart, first of all. Do we believe God? You see, the question of the ages, friend, the question of the ages, and it is the question for this hour in which we live, but it's the question of the ages. Listen carefully. What is truth. You remember who asked that question? Pontius Pilate asked the question of the ages and you've got an answer. The question of the ages is what is truth? And that Roman leader did not understand or see that truth was standing right before him. Jesus said, I am the way, I am what? The truth. The truth is in Jesus Christ. That's where the truth is. There is one ultimate truth. And thank God when it comes to spiritual warfare, truth wins. Truth wins. It's not even close. (laughs) And I want you to see 
how truth wins in Jesus. Look at the spiritual wonders here now. Notice the spiritual wonders. There's spiritual warfare and there's spiritual weakness. But notice the spiritual wonder that takes place through Jesus. Verse 41, let's pick it up where Jesus says, bring your son here. He's just vented. He's not sinned, but he's vented. And then he says to the man, bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground. Now, if you mark your Bible through there, T-H-R-E-W is a specific word. It's a wrestling term. It's like to put a wrestling throw on someone. This demon literally latched onto this boy, took over him, threw him to the ground even as he was coming to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The enemy hindering someone being brought to Jesus. Threw him to the ground. The disciples didn't believe. But you know what? The disciples' unbelief doesn't undermine the king's authority, right? He has authority. He is the king. He is the king. And the king has a mission. What is the king's mission that he's going to accomplish? Well, do you remember what he said from the very first sermon, what his mission was? Flip back a few chapters to chapter 4. Would you do that in your Bibles? Chapter 4. Flip back there. And Jesus was bringing his inaugural message in the synagogue of his hometown. Do you remember this? And he took the scroll of Isaiah. He asked it to be opened. And he read this passage. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. My friend, that's the king's mission. And nothing stops the king from accomplishing his mission. Amen. He is going to set captives free. He is going to deliver people. So they're not just in recovery. They are recovered by the power of God. They are redeemed and reclaimed. They are at liberty from the bondage that has held them. The darkness of the evil one. That's Jesus' mission. <laughs> now, the demons don't want to give in easily. So they struggle. They, this demon throws this boy down. But guess what? The king throws him out. <laughs> he just rebukes him. Throws him out. Now, oh, my friend, let's never forget, as awful as the demons may be and the spiritual warfare may be, there is only one all-time undisputed, undefeated champion of spiritual warfare. 
And that is the King, King Jesus. And I want you to know, 2,000 years have passed since this match and our Lord hasn't lost a step and He hasn't lost an ounce of strength. He's still the King. And there is still wonder-working power in the Word of Christ and in the name of Jesus. Wonder-working power. I want you to listen to a song written by a man who knew spiritual warfare more than anybody in this room or anybody watching. This man knew spiritual warfare. Here's what he wrote. Though he faced the devil as few ever have, here's what he wrote. Quote, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fell Him. Martin Luther Pinned those words in the 1520s. And dear brothers and sisters, they are still true in the 2020s. They are still true. Our Lord is a mighty fortress. And He is the conqueror of hell. Brothers and sisters, we need to believe God for spiritual wonders and for the King in our valley. We need to believe God. We need to believe that in Jesus' name. We need to believe that there is no power like the power of Christ. We need to believe that there is no authority like the authority of King Jesus. And we need to believe that His blood is able to set people free. We must believe this. If we don't believe it in the midst of this age of darkness, then we're disbelieving. And what good are we to the kingdom? We can't expand the kingdom if we don't have faith in the king. Do you believe in the king? Do you believe that he is the victor? Do you believe that our God reigns? And do you believe that he's brought you into the kingdom for such a time as this? Oh, friend, let's believe these things before, because they are true. This is the word of the Lord. Let me share with you now just these lessons of spiritual wisdom, and we're finished. Because you see, there's spiritual wisdom in the valley. <laughs> This is an amazing, amazing account chosen by the Holy Spirit of God to be in His Word, which will endure forever. I want you to know, a million years from now, you and I will still be rejoicing over this story. <laughs> Except we may be talking to Jesus about it. Um, oh, Lord, that was awesome what you did there. Can you imagine that? talking to Jesus about some of the things he did. Wow. 
Here's wisdom. Wisdom begins in recognizing our weaknesses. Wisdom is recognizing our insufficiency. <laughs> wisdom is facing reality. We're no match for the devil. You say, well, Sam, it just sounds like you're discounting everything you just said. Hang on, I'll get there. But I'm telling you that you nor I, we are not a match for the devil. Three lessons. They're not on your screen, but I'll just share these with you. Wisdom for spiritual warfare about recognizing our insufficiency. Number one, there must be faith in that spiritual warfare. Faith and our spiritual warfare. We've got to have faith. We've got to ask the Lord to increase our faith. I ask you to be ready to look at Mark chapter 9. Do you remember what Mark recorded that the man said when Jesus said? In answer to his Lord, if you can, you, would you heal my son? And Jesus said, if I can. And what did the man say to Jesus? This is so beautiful. Mark 9, verse 24. I just love this statement. And after crying out and convulsing, Mark chapter 9, excuse me, verse number 24 says, Do you believe he can do this? And I can do this if you can. All things are possible for one who believes. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said what? I believe, help my unbelief. What did he pray about? He prayed about his faith. Do you ever pray about your unbelief? You say, well, no, the reason I don't pray is because I don't have faith. Think about it. We don't pray because we have faith. We need to pray that we will have faith. Lord, help us in our unbelief. I believe. Yes, I do believe, Lord. But I don't believe perfectly. Help my unbelief. How beautiful is that? The Father didn't have perfect faith. The Lord didn't require perfect faith. But He did require that the man believe in Him. He required the man call out to him for his need of help, even in his faith. And what did Jesus do? He answered and he cast the demon out. Friends, prayer is the key to faith. You will never have great faith unless you pray. Yes. Prayer is worship. Prayer takes us into the presence of mighty God. We need to see the relationship between faith and spiritual warfare. And then notice, you need to see the relationship, and I do, between fasting and spiritual warfare. Yeah, fasting. You there in Mark chapter 9? The disciples wanted to know, why couldn't we cast this demon out? Why couldn't we cast this demon out? Jesus said, verse 28, notice this. Chapter 9. This kind does not come out, verse 29, this kind cannot be driven out but by anything but prayer. Another account refers to prayer and fasting. It is a word that describes this 
attitude of a hunger for God. Now, one thing. Don't think on the merits of your prayer and in the merits of your fasting that you earn points to throw out the devil. That's not what that means. What it means is spiritual warfare in different levels, some more intense. There is a spiritual warfare that you're not going to be victorious in apart from consecrated prayer that can even include fasting. Why? To number three, put your focus on the Lord. To put your focus on the Lord. You see, it's through spiritual times of prayer and fasting that we see Jesus more clearly. That He becomes in our minds, who He really is in reality. He becomes big. We don't make Jesus big. We don't blow Him up like a Thanksgiving Day parade balloon. He is great. But He needs to be big in our eyes. And he becomes big in our eyes. He becomes real in our hearts. And our faith increases as it focuses on him. Jesus said there is spiritual warfare. That you will not be able to be victorious in it. Apart from intense prayer. Fasting. Which builds your faith and trust in me. We've got to recognize our insufficiency. And lastly, we've got to rely on His all-sufficiency, right? Because He can't be all-sufficient if I'm some-sufficient. It can't be 75% Jesus and 25% me. What is it that Jesus said? Without me, you can do what? Nothing. nothing. He didn't say zero. He said nothing. You know what? You know what nothing is? That's a zero with a line erased. That's nothing. He says, without me, you can't do anything. Our focus has to be on him. That's the reason he said this very seemingly out of place statement. Look at Luke chapter 9. This doesn't seem to belong here, but boy, does it belong here. As he talks about faith, he says this, verse 44, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying. It was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. They were afraid to ask him about this saying. This goes back to what Jesus said back in verse 22. What did he say back in verse 22? Just a few days earlier, he said in verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things. The Son of Man must be rejected. He must be killed. And on the third day, raised up. What's Jesus sharing here with the disciples that they could not understand quite at that time, but we have no reason not to understand at this time. 
that it is in looking to Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins. It is looking to His finished work on the cross, which is His victory over Satan. Jesus won the victory over Satan at the cross where He overcame our sin. And He offered up Himself as a perfect sacrifice and atoned for our sins. And when He had his, lived His life and yielded up His life with His final words, what did He say? It is Finished. That was a cry of victory, my friend. Where do we gain our faith? By looking to Jesus, the author and the completer for our faith, of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured what? The cross, even though He despised the shame. And He's now sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Where do you get your faith? You look to Jesus. Who are you? You are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Who are you? You are a blood-bought child of God. Who are you? You are a purchased son or daughter of the King of Kings. Who are you? You are a risen victor in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. In Him. And that gets in our heads as we look to Jesus. And say, it's not about anything I've done. It's about what he's done. It's not my victory. It's his victory. And I'm not striving for victory. I'm serving out of his victory. Amen. What do we do in the valley? We've got to make a decision to lift up the cross. Friends, what do we do in a day like this? What do we do in a day like this? Lies, lies, darkness, deception, anger, animosity, hatred, fear, bigotry, bigotry, racism. What do we do? Well, the first thing we've got to do Lift up Jesus Christ. The gospel. We've got to lift up the cross of Christ because He is the answer. He's the only answer. He's the only answer. We've got to lift up Christ. God said through Isaiah, when truth and justice are in the gutter and they're marched upon, when there is no justice and inequity resides everywhere, when men put darkness for light and light for darkness, what will God do? God will raise up a standard. And what is that standard? It's His Son, Jesus Christ. Lift up the cross. Lift up. Talk about Jesus. Doesn't mean you can't ever talk politics, but you ought to talk Jesus infinitely more than you talk politics. Because politics has no answers to the eternal issues. It is Jesus Christ alone. Amen. We're not here to make the world a better place to go to hell from. 
We're here to see people like ourselves who were hell deserving and hell bound rescued by the blood of the Lamb. And guess what? That makes them better mayors and congressmen. Makes them better teachers. Helps pastors out a little bit too. Yes. It's Christ. Lift up the cross and lift up your cross. What did Jesus say? Verse 23. We've got to be willing in the valley to take up our cross. And it's really not our cross. It's what? His cross. It's identifying with Him. Are we willing to do that? What's your identity? I mean, at the core of your being, who are you? God, help us if our answer in this day is I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm this, I'm a Southerner, I'm a Midwesterner. I'm a name your occupation. My friend, we need a host of people whose everyday identity is in Jesus Christ. I follow him. I don't follow him as I should, but I follow him. And we lift up our eyes to the cross. What do you look in the valley? You lift up the cross to the out to others. You lift up Jesus cross and you follow him. And in that valley, you look up on Mount Calvary. And you lift up your eyes on the cross. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I am now living in this flesh, I am living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's he talking about? The crucified life. And there's no more living life than the crucified life. Because you lose your life and what you do, Jesus said, you find it in me. What is your greatest spiritual battle? Would you respond to Jesus' invitation today? Here's his invitation. Listen carefully what Jesus said. I love what he said to this man. Verse 41. Bring your son here. No one else can help him. Then I can help him. You bring your son to me. Can I ask you a question? Who do you need to bring to Jesus? When's the last time you brought them to Jesus in prayer? Whose name is there? Who do you need to bring to Jesus? Let me ask you, what do you need to bring to Jesus? Some of the spiritual warfare that's raging in our life we can't conquer it. You know what Jesus says? You bring it to me. You bring it to me. I died and paid for this. I conquered it. You bring this to me. You, what do you need to bring to him this morning? Father, we need Jesus. I need Jesus. Every hour I need him in this valley through which we journey we need Jesus and he's all we need oh friend I'm praying for you right now 
I ask, Lord Jesus, that people would bring their sons to Jesus, their daughters to Jesus. Help us to bring them to you. Help us to bring loved ones to you. Help us to bring enemies to you. Help us to bring our problems and our heartaches, our griefs to you. Lord, those things that are oppressing us, may we bring them to you. For you have all power, all grace. There's none like you, Lord Jesus. And you've said, bring him to me. May we do that in Jesus' name.